0: Hi, I'm Stargate Pioneer. And I'm Stephen Drew, And we're from Better Podcasting, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1... Welcome to Head in the Cloud. I'm your host, John Svozik. This is episode 12 for 2017. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the Oz and we're going to talk about them. The Oz being the uh, IAAS, the PAAS, and the SAAS, also known as Pa's, and PASS, and SAS in the common vernacular some of these will probably be familiar for you uh, especially if you're listening to a cloud-based podcast but some of them you may not have that much experience with or not really understand what's going on with with it Uh, and that's kind of the aim of this episode is is let's take a look at these three uh, AAS's Oz if you will to kind of get an understanding of what they are, how they fit with each other and whatever else. So, yeah, I mean, some of you just to show my age, uh, pass, uh, You know that's that's a brand of Easter egg coloring kits that I had when I was a kid Uh, it turns out they still have them because we bought them for my own children when uh, we were doing doing some stuff so it's kind of yeah it's it's a lame dad joke and I apologize for nothing so anyway uh, let's let's go into uh, the first of the of the Oz or as uh, namely I's I A A S. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that one. To be honest with you, I've always just called it I A A S, and I was trying to be witty. Uh, and again, kind of failing with that one. But whatever. Uh, what is I A A S? Uh, it is an acronym for Infrastructure as a Service. So, what is Infrastructure as a Service? What does that What does that mean? Uh, this is traditionally when you think of of cloud vendors. Um, where they give you a virtual machine, uh, that is what IaaS is. It's the, the raw infrastructure. It's as close to a bare metal machine that you can get, but this is actually a virtualized uh, machine. The idea, the, the general concept with uh, IaaS is that you are given uh, an operating system, and that's about it you can add um, other things like you can usually add virtual hard disks to add additional storage you you start with initial storage that you can grow uh, if you wanted additional drives to have separate partitions for example maybe you have an operating system partition and then you have a data partition that you want um, and that would be on a separate drive then you can do that and so on and so forth so all the major uh, cloud providers azure google amazon all these guys offer this iaas and that's kind of their base offering where you can get your choice of operating system now your choice is limited of course depends on which provider you you go with Um, limited in that you shouldn't necessarily expect a bunch of uh, Linux machines on Azure. I don't know if Azure actually offers Linux machines. I've always known them as just being the Windows, but that might be a false assumption on my part. Um, Google offers both Linux and Windows, so does uh, AWS. Uh, AWS actually has a community marketplace where you can actually get more than just uh, Linux and Windows. There's actually free BSD uh, virtual images on AWS as well. Never use them, but I do know that they are there uh, if you go looking for them. Um, they're just not in the standard list. They're in the community provided uh, AMIs, uh, Amazon machine images. But going back to what is IAS, again, you're given a machine, you have the choice of size for that machine, and you have an operating system, and that's it. You are now responsible for everything that goes on with that machine. The cloud providers, they will take care of the infrastructure and the hardening of the actual physical machine that this virtual machine will run on and they'll take care of the network controls for that but you are responsible for patching the operating system you are responsible for hardening the operating system you are responsible for everything that runs on that operating system uh, in that virtual machine in that infrastructure so this might sound familiar uh where In the very first episode, we talked about uh, common cloud misconceptions. And a lot of people, when they first start in the cloud, they're like, great, I've got a, a system in the cloud. I know the cloud provider hardens everything. I know that they take care of security. Therefore, I don't have to worry about a thing. And again, that's not true. They will take care of the physical and they will take care of the data center but the virtual machines themselves, and in this case, these IaaS machines, the the hardening and the security is a must and is a responsibility of the person that has uh, purchased it, for all intents of purposes, or is leasing it. Because we don't actually maintain um, ownership, right? We're we're borrowing it. That's that's the cloud model, right? You you essentially purchase and pay for what you use but it's a service it is not a physical tangible good that you get to keep so as long as you pay the cloud provider will let it run once you stop paying well they'll just spin it down and you'll lose your access but um, ownership rights and everything else that's a discussion for another day all right so we talk about hardening um what, what can we do with hardening well in the past we've looked uh, to the Center for Internet Security uh for hardening guides and uh guess what they have them again not only do they have a a benchmark or a checklist that they had for AWS they also have operating system hardening guides for almost every operating system you can think of um the major ones Linux and Windows uh, are definitely there they have them for OS X. they have them for different flavors of linux they have them for the bsds as well uh you do have to register with the center for internet security to get access to the hardening guides but to be fair um it's the very low rate of spam if any um and definitely worth worth looking uh looking at uh for sure so i'll provide a link to the hardening guides uh, in the show notes for people who want to, to take a look at that. So some you know best practices, again, this will be a rehash for some, some previous episodes, but it makes sense here. When you've done hardening, um, usually a best practice that I like to do is I'll start with a machine, whatever the operating system is that I want and whatever version I want, and I will follow one of the hardening guides And then I will create an image of that. And that'll be my golden image. So it's bare bones. I don't install any additional software on there. This is basically just the operating system. And then I'll harden that, create an image of it. And from there, I can use that to build new images. Maybe I have an application server specific um, virtual machine that I want to create or a um uh, web server that I want to create then I'll start from that hardened image so I don't have to recreate all those hardening steps and and continue building and this way when I want to spin up these new images I already have something that's pre-hardened it makes it uh makes it a lot easier in addition to that make use of your devops tool right whatever your favorite devops tool is a lot of the hardening can be done within, um, one of these tools within a configuration for one of these tools, which is great because you're going to probably over time upgrade, uh, the operating system that you're using either from, uh, uh, from from a long-term support version. Look, I'll pick on Ubuntu. Maybe you start with 14.04 and then you move up to 16.04. And then maybe next year you're going to go up to 18.04, or maybe the year after. Maybe you have a three-year um, upgrade cycle. Uh, that's usually common in enterprise for operating system. You don't get to reuse your hardened image before. Uh, chances are you're going to want to start from a fresh... Uh, sort of base image for whatever the cloud provider you're using, and go from there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, kind of a best practice. If you put everything in your DevOps tool, you get that that hardening. And oftentimes, even between operating system versions, the hardening doesn't change that much. There might be some additional steps you can take, but if you've already got something where most of the hardening is handled, for or the previous version of the hardening is handled through a DevOps tool just awesome just makes your life so much easier and yeah so again infrastructure as a service is is really the thing that what made the cloud popular moving to the cloud popular right you essentially you don't have these these uh initial costs right you don't have the the capex uh costs up front you don't have you know I need to buy all these servers but I know I'm gonna grow in a year so I'm gonna buy something a bit bigger than I need right now so that I don't have to worry about scrambling when um, all of a sudden my application becomes super popular uh, but I've got that huge capital expenditure right up front and that's that's gonna cost me and then a year later you suddenly realize you underestimated what you what you needed and now you're scrambling to buy more servers or even worse you underestimated and you've got these huge honking machines that basically sit there and do nothing and you've you've expended all all that cash up front with the infrastructure as a service you get to choose your instance sizes how many of the servers you need and you can grow and shrink that pool as you need it Yes, there is some extra architecture that needs to be done because you've got to figure out, okay, how am I going to do load balancing, for example, um, and whatever else. But you still have that same uh, requirement that you would have as if you own the machines yourself and physically were maintaining them. You still have to do the patching. You still have to do the hardening. You still have to do all the... uh, the security surrounding those machines in terms of firewalls and uh, antivirus and whatever other uh, controls and uh, security controls you're going to have um, you now as we talked before ids is a ye- little bit different in the cloud that was a previous episode um, but for a lot of things, infrastructure as a service is, is kind of that first stepping stone for people that are used to having everything in house. Um, you, you get that, that, uh, flexibility. So, you know, again, with that flexibility comes the responsibility. Just, just keep that in mind. Um, So you will want to have other things in place. From a security perspective, infrastructure as a service can be thought very much like a traditional data center with a few exceptions. Uh, Obviously, you're not going to be able to just um, change the routing. Well, you can change the routing. That's not true. Uh, But you can't necessarily go to a router, open up a span port, and send that over to the, uh, IDS of choice, uh, for yourself. Right. And, you know, same thing, a SIM, you can still have a SIM. It's just going to be a bit more of a, of a setup, Uh log management as well. Uh, you can do it. It's just a little bit more, uh, setup. And again, keep in mind that DevOps tools will help cut down a lot of the, uh, the setup pain and the maintenance and such, especially as you start growing that infrastructure, that would be the same in a, in a data center. You still use a DevOps tool, but, uh, yeah, anyway, um, that's, that's kind of the high level look at, uh, IAS or, uh, uh, eyes, <laughs> whatever I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I give up i'm calling uncle and i'm just going to call it I A A S. it's just maybe a mouthful but whatever it works for me all right now looking at the next item on the list is paas or pass i think i said oz before but that would be pause and that's not well i guess you could pronounce it pause as well Uh, but PaaS uh, stands for platform as a service. So this is a little bit different. Now we're starting to go up the up the food chain, if you will, in terms of cloud services. Um, so th- think of uh, PaaS as a, a managed component as opposed to an individual machine, uh, something like a database. Now this is not the same as software as a service. This is this is a platform element. This is like the the Lego building block for um, building up your offering, right, your application. So, platform as a service, um, like I said, you can think of a database as being offered as a pass component. Um, MySQL is often one of the more popular database options, but you can get Oracle, Postgres, um, ms sql um, sql server um, all of these are, are database options but you're not just limited to databases um, there's lots and lots of options for for past providers um, for example you can have continuous integration and, and uh, continuous delivery uh, systems uh you can have hosted application servers you can even you know you could argue that cdn providers are are a pass provider as well so you know off the top of my head heroku is probably one of the more popular pass providers just as a standalone non-cloud provider you know heroku's got uh, a bunch of stuff so if you want to run something in heroku's cloud a lot of people do that um even the earlier Google compute engine uh stuff was uh could be considered more of a pass than an uh i a a s um, but you know for now the 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 for now the important thing to remember is that platform as a service is is really kind of taking it up up a level up a notch you're no longer dealing with the underlying operating system now you're dealing with a um a software component that somebody else is managing and maintaining for you that you can make use of as part of your own offering you know your own software offering your own service offering um or whatever else now with that you know why why would you do that well quite honestly it's it's just easier it's it's less things you have to worry about. You remember that hardening checklist that we had to go through, those benchmarks for the operating system? Don't have to worry about them. Somebody else will take care of that. Uh, how about the configuration uh, for installing and configuring the um, particular uh, software component that you want, be it a database or be it um, something like a Redis, for example, for a caching solution? You, know, you don't have to worry about it. You often get these systems configured specifically for the need that you want, and most of the time you don't have to touch it. Um, With a lot of past providers, you still have that flexibility. You still have the ability to go and configure uh, the particular platform component. So, for example, you can have your your, database database, configurations you can actually change those configurations um, to a certain degree you'll have 99% of all the options but maybe 1% is reserved for the pass provider because well quite frankly if you change it you might screw up a bunch of other people that are sharing that underlying hardware and that particular setting you're looking for isn't there uh, because you could adversely affect other uh, users of that service. Uh, likewise, from a security perspective, you don't always get much more than a bunch of firewall rules to decide which of your components can communicate with this past component. And again, that's about it. You're giving up quite a bit, um but at the same time, you—it's—it's it's a trade-off. You give up your own fine-tuning for certain things. Not everything, but for certain things, you're giving up your ability to lock down the underlying operating system. You don't have access to the underlying operating system at all, and um, and so on. So, like, you don't get to to do security patches. You don't get to do. Um, vulnerability assessments, you don't get to do low level scans on these, uh, these past platforms. But the expectation is that whoever's providing that platform as a service is doing those things, they are the ones that are taking that responsibility. And that should be part of the the, uh, the SLA. You know your service level agreements with the past provider that they will take care of these things and they will apply security patches and they will maintain um, uh, kind of control and monitoring of the underlying operating systems and hardware and whatever else and dealing deal with any sort of outages with that so on the surface when you first look at pass uh it's going to be more expensive than uh corresponding infrastructure as a service um offering so you often get the same sizing options as you would with infrastructure as a service like do i want a small machine do i want a large machine do i want like a super extra large machine with like 64 gigabytes of ram that's not really super extra large but anyway you get the idea Um, versus say a one gig machine or something like that Uh, how many cpus or virtual cpus am i going to get the sizing for pass services will be similar they might be a bit different simply because they'll be predefined options you might not be able to get the smallest option you could in infrastructure but for the most part they're going to line up uh, pretty closely from probably a large all the way up But the cost is going to be higher. The cost per hour is going to be higher. Uh, Oftentimes it's twice as much as a corresponding infrastructure as a service. And a lot of people balk at that because they're like, oh my gosh, like look at how much this is going to cost me. You have to keep in mind that the cost is going to differ depending on what it is that you're giving up. Um, You're giving up the need to patch and maintain the the operating system and the application that you want to use and all the monitoring and backups and everything else that you would normally have to do manually in an infrastructure as a service uh, solution versus a platform as a service solution. And oftentimes when you take those operating expenses uh, into account, platform as a service isn't so bad now from a security perspective it's easier for you as well because again the amount of um, patching log management and well log management aside you still have logs you still have to monitor those logs looking for potential threats and you should be monitoring the usage of the the component as well for example a database you'll want to monitor things like query counts um, CPU cycles data uh, transfer rates things like that looking for anomalies um, you still want to do that you would have to do that from a um, IAS perspective as well but when it comes to things like well I want to ensure that my component is bound only to localhost uh, and I'll just or maybe I'll open it up to the world, but I'm gonna have firewall rules and stuff like that. You still have that capability as well, but it's more the the underlying operating system. Um, those are things that you, you don't necessarily have to control and that's either good or bad. From a security perspective, I think platform as a service is a bit better. It does take away some components that you need to, to worry about and puts the the onus on the cloud provider themselves um versus versus you having to be responsible for the hardening and making sure that your devops team is hardening things appropriately or your it team or yourself depending on how your uh responsibilities are are spread out um but oftentimes i find that the platform as a service the pain doesn't come from the security side of things the pain comes more from the i need to change this particular setting and i can't and you don't see that right away in fact you can run for years without having a a issue in that in that realm where you're essentially chugging along and then all of a sudden you you land that really big deal and you're like oh man our database isn't working or our cache isn't working quite the way i want let me let me look up and see what we can do and people start suggesting well if you just do this change this setting to this value uh that that will help immensely and you go to look at it and it's not there you're like oh come on and you contact the cloud provider and they're like, nope, sorry, that's a hidden option. You can't change that. And that's when you start to question, what am I going to do? And oftentimes the solution for a lot of these uh, pass solutions is we'll just go to the next bigger size. And that may or may not work for you, either from a cost perspective or just a a principal perspective. Like, how dare you tell me to spend more money with you because you won't let me change this one setting. So then you start thinking, well, maybe I'll go back to infrastructure as a service for that. So just something to keep in mind. I still think that there's a lot of value with platform as a service. It really does make things easier. So don't discount it for that. All right now here's our standard uh standard fare let's move on to the last guy the one that everybody knows about because it's become so ridiculously popular sas s a a s the most popular of the three asses <laughs> I was trying to avoid saying that but whatever uh sas software as a service um ridiculously popular it seems to be the new rage these days um so sas the software as a service um probably one of the more probably the most recognized software as a service even if people don't realize it's uh, a sas solution is uh, salesforce salesforce.com one of the first software as a solution uh or sorry software as a service solutions uh in the market so with SAS, you essentially, you know, you have software, you don't have to install, it runs in the cloud, and you simply access it. You don't install anything. Oftentimes, you're going through a browser, you might have a dedicated client that's going out to talk to it. But that's really rare. Most SAS solutions these days are strictly web based in the cloud, you need a browser and that's about it Uh, if there's anything else to install it will be done through the browser itself Um, but that's the general the most common model I'm not saying that's the exclusive model but that's the most common model that you have with uh, SAS Um, it's almost like, like a thin client you know there's nothing to install you essentially have a dumb terminal sitting in front of you that connects to a solution out in the cloud somewhere that gives you all the functionality that you need you know and it's funny i've, I've been in it and software and uh, for for very very long time not very very long but over over 20 years now um and it's funny just watching this industry reinvent itself. It's almost like a cycle. You can watch, I would say every every 10 years give or take, maybe every 15, you get to see this the maybe even every 20, but go back and take a look, you know, go back to the old mainframe ideas right where all the processing was done on a central machine and you had these dumb terminals the green screens and they still have them today i'm not saying that these are archaic and gone they're actually still very much in use today but you had the central processing done and there was nothing to install on the end user's machine uh and then we end up going into you know more of these thick clients like the smart clients everything's installed as a software package on your local machine no worry about, uh, no worrying about uh competing for resources on the mainframe and then people realize this is really expensive and it's difficult to maintain and IT is like pulling out their hair and then now we're coming back into the cloud and we're doing this again now this is a more macro view you can look at smaller things um, like RPC versus RMI versus web services versus CORBA versus you know these are all programming terms and, and much lower level terms but you know shouldn't really be talking about it, but whatever it's my podcast I can say what I want um, but the <laughs> the idea behind the industry is that, yeah, we we get new talent every couple of years that comes in that thinks they can do it better. And they can do better than what they're used to. But what they don't realize is they're going back and actually repeating what other people have done maybe a decade prior. They just weren't aware of it. And of course, they do it slightly differently. But the concept at a high level is the same. Software as a service is just kind of going in that direction as well, where we're going back to sort of this client-server model where the client itself is very, very thin, very simple, and the server is where all the heavy lifting is done, right? So software as a service, yeah. This, in addition to to it being the most popular of the three, it can also be one of the more touchy, of the three especially when you're selling to an organization that is a more traditional um you know desktop based it rules the roost style uh customer i have run into it departments um over the past couple of years that are like vehemently opposed to software as a service and to be honest with you it boils down to a lack of control they don't want to give up that control they are the team that is responsible for all the software that runs in that organization and how dare you bring something in that they basically are regulated to dealing with a web browser like no we want to install and control everything you know, uh, this is especially true when you're dealing with a company that outsources their IT, because now all of a sudden there's one less piece that that company gets to install and control and charge for, and that cuts into their profits and that can build resentment. So just something to keep in mind if you are offering a SaaS um, that you might run into teams that will will oppose you for no other reason than they're losing some level of control. You know, as a purchaser of software as a service, it's incredibly cost-effective because now I don't have to worry about uh, installing particular software onto uh, my end-user's machines. I don't have to worry about patching of that software Um i don't have to to do much of anything really i just need an up-to-date browser and be able to access it most sas providers are are fairly well um well developed and well designed that it's it's pretty simple to get started there isn't a lot of training involved as well so that's all well and good but damn it john this is a a security podcast about the cloud so what does sas offer us from a security perspective uh from a security perspective sas offers you um probably the simplest of of the three you essentially need to understand what is what is the communication with the software Uh, what's the protocol is it http is it https um, or is it something even lower level than that maybe you've you've uh, you got an FTP uh, server that would probably fall under more of a of a pass uh, solution than SAS but let's for sake of argument let's pretend that FTP is a SAS an FTP server is a, is a software as a service that you have and you're using this to communicate with, uh, customers and getting them to drop files on there, sort of thing. Um, that's a horrible example. Forget I said any of that, uh, let's go just back to just what is a standard Salesforce, right? Standard Salesforce software as a service, um, from a security perspective, what are the things that I want to be aware of? Well, first and foremost, I want to be aware of, have they done any form of penetration testing, uh, application level penetration testing, on that system right on the actual service itself you know um that's the main interface that i'm going to be using that's where i'm going to be inputting my data in and that's the piece that's going to be exposed to the world Uh, maybe they have a login you know and so they've got a locked front door but what happens when one of my more mischievous users uh, gets in, or more likely, what happens when one of my users gets fished, and their password is uh, is stolen through social engineering, and and, and a, a nefarious uh, hacker type goes in and logs in as that user? You know what what sort of protections are in place? Do they do input validation? Do they scrub their inputs? Are they susceptible to Uh, cross-site scripting are they susceptible to cross-site request forgery sql injection Uh, what about all the other items that uh that are are security concerns for users you know are it is all communication encrypted are they using encrypted channels is data encrypted at rest is data encrypted at uh in transit You know, these are these are the questions, you know, do they have compliance? Do they uh, do they do credit card processing? If they do, are they PCI compliant? Well, they pretty much have to be if they're doing credit card processing. Uh, But maybe they're not, you know, maybe they do they fall? Do they have any sort of compliance frameworks that they follow? Uh, what regulations do they fall under for compliance frameworks? Do they have a SOC two report, for example, a SOC one report? Uh, do they do ISO twenty seven thousand one? You know all of these things, and these are often the most common questions you should be asking as a security professional. But you should ask that after you determine what is the level of risk for using this software what is the data we're putting into this software is it of a sensitive nature what are the appropriate controls that i expect within this application um for a software as a service you know do what what am i going to require based on the level of data and the sensitivity of that data that's being put into that system If I'm using software as a service for a uh, grocery list, I don't care if they're ISO compliant or not. You know, I don't care if they're PCI compliant or not. That doesn't bother me. It's a shopping list. If I wrote that that shopping list on a piece of paper and threw it away and somebody else got it, what risk is there? Oh my God, he ate bananas this week. Okay. Oh my God. You know, he bought a case of oranges. Well, maybe I have a fear of scurvy, right? That's this, that you have to always keep that in mind, right? When you're evaluating a a SAS solution, you know, keep in mind, what is it being used for, Right, and also keep in mind that SaaS is different. It's different than off-the-shelf software. It's different than custom-developed software. Most of the time, SaaS is the cl- is much closer to a um, off-the-shelf offering as opposed to custom development. Most of the time, um, and likewise. You have to understand that a lot of the configuration that you would normally have to do, and even the access to your backend systems, there's often nothing there. Oftentimes, SAS does just doesn't touch your network outside of an, an HTTP connection, be that over SSL or not. So, security-wise, it's a lot easier for. SAS, again, because there's often no direct interaction with your own internal network. This is off on its own network block, its own network segment segment. And, you know, it's less of a concern in terms of if they get compromised, how are they going to pivot into your uh, internal network? That doesn't mean that it can't happen, right? This is a very, uh, something that is very important. It doesn't get them off the hook. They still need to you still need to make sure that they have protections again against the uh wasp top 10 specifically around things like cross-site scripting cross-site request forgeries even the sql injection attacks um, any sort of web face defacement i'm uh, sorry web page defacement anything that could potentially impact that application that could translate into some sort of compromise for your own internal network. Again, not all software, uh, sorry, not all vulnerabilities and threats come from an executable that gets run on a local machine. If you have a SaaS provider and or if you are providing a SaaS solution, you are still targeting all these end user machines albeit through a browser there are browser exploits and there are things that can be done and that can potentially cause issue with the end user environments if that sas solution is compromised um, so keep that in mind and look for some of the best practices Right for your SaaS providers, what are the those best practices? We touched on them a bit. You want to make sure you do your due diligence. Does the SaaS provider, or if you are a SaaS provider, look for things like pen tests, uh, depending on the industry and the level of of sensitivity of the data stored in there, compliance reports and audits. Uh, Regardless, look at service level agreements. What's the guaranteed uptime? uh what about disaster recovery do they do testing what's their recovery point objective what's their recovery time objective uh rto rpo uh well rpo and rto um you know how quickly basically how quickly when they have an outage uh do they expect to get back and if they do have some sort of massive outage how far back do their backups go and how much data are you expected to lose in case of a a disaster is that acceptable to you or not what about data security is the data encrypted at rest is the data encrypted in transit if the data is going through multiple components in the sas solution try to understand their architecture do they have encryption at every step of the way is there end-to-end encryption uh if it's a SaaS solution and they're probably cloud based. Okay, what's what's their provider? What's the you know what what's the level of confidence you have with with that particular cloud provider? Is it a major cloud provider like Azure or Google or Amazon? Or is it some small it runs in our basement, private cloud? Um and yeah we don't we have a combination lock on the door, you know, that mimics what we had in high school um what about their patching policies how often do they patch their application how often do they patch their underlying operating systems you know and maybe it's completely built up maybe the the sas is built up of nothing but uh pass components um so you know patching is handled by somebody else that's fine it's still important to know and the application itself the sas often times it's either written or you wrote it that has patches that need to be applied. So, how often is that happening? What about change management? Uh, what about uptime uh, guarantees? You know, these are sort of the high level questions I would be asking of a SaaS provider if I was purchasing one. And if I was offering a SaaS offering, these are the things that I would be anticipating people asking me and making sure that I had answers for that. So with that, that's our high level view at infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service. I'm not going to to even try the acronyms uh, again, especially that first one. And I'm not going to shorten them by taking off that first letter because that was just too funny and I don't want to have to add an explicit uh, warning for this podcast. So hopefully you guys found this useful. Um, So what do we have for news about the podcast itself? Uh, A couple of things. I've added a new Slack channel. Uh, So, woo, come on down. You know, the five of you who listen, if you felt like you wanted to hang out on Slack, and just chat for a little bit if you haven't used slack before it's actually really nice it's kind of a cross between an instant messenger app and irc um it's actually really nice. I've used it for a couple of years now. Um, I figured, yeah, what? why not? It's free. Um, you can, you, I do monitor it. So if you do join and you want to come take a look, uh, by all means do so, even if it's just to say hi, right? Just let me know somebody's listening to this. I know I've got listening stats and whatnot, but uh, at the same time, you know what? come by, hang out. We can chat about whatever you have show ideas. That's great. You just want to say, hi, that's great too. Um, if you just want to say you suck, that's fine too. I don't really care. Um, you know, stop on by that's, that's cool. Uh, so to, to join the Slack channel, just go to the website. I have a link for it, uh, on the sidebar. I'll also include a link to the sign up page in the show notes here. Um, and, yeah, we can go from there. If you guys are listening to this just as a standard podcast, which, I mean, why wouldn't you be? Uh, it is a podcast. You know, Feel free to leave feedback, uh, leave a rating um, or whatever on whatever uh, platform you have um if it's itunes leave an itunes rating if it's google play leave a google play rating if it's on stitcher leave a stitcher rating you know whatever uh and appreciate any sort of of uh of feedback because those those things actually do help move the uh move the podcast up in the uh, in the ranks so to speak and gives us a better chance of of getting a wider audience uh, and yeah, and if you want to reach me and you don't want to go on Slack, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at John's Not Here. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find the website, which is myheadinthe.cloud. You can look me up on PeerList and LinkedIn. Just take a look at, uh, search for my name. Um, again, all these links will be available in the show notes as well. We're on the gunna geek podcast network as well. So again, if you guys are looking for any additional, uh, geeky style podcasts that you want to listen to, uh, definitely take a look at, uh, gunna geek and, uh, see our uh, brothers and sisters, uh, in the network. And with that, you know, thank you for listening, uh, stay safe and have a great week.